My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of All the Hard Things. My name is Jenna Overbaugh, and I am here with Kim Vincenti. I am super excited to have her here. I think we need more and more of these Kims around. Uh, Kim is a mom. She's a wife. She's an OCD advocate, um, a speaker, um, and she has uh, a nonprofit that I want to share with all of you. I want to I want to talk about um, all of the wonderful things that she's doing. So, um, Kim, we're going to get into your story and your son's story, but if you could please just introduce yourself really quickly and give us like a, a quick rundown of everything that you have going on. Well, thank you for having me, Jenna. Um, I have a son um, that was diagnosed at age 11 with OCD. And, um, you know, I realized pretty quickly that number one, there was a vast education that I needed, not just his psychoeducation, but that the parents needed to learn a whole laundry list of things to make therapy effective. So um, I dug into that, but I realized very quickly, given my son's um, an early exposure work, that it wasn't just um, the challenges of um, lack of, uh, or, or not accommodating or reassuring, but um, that, that it turns parenting on its head in every way, because you're asked to um, go against the precepts of love and nurture almost, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting those maternal instincts to just protect. And um, not only that, but our exposure work got pretty interesting very fast. And um, it caused me to have to do things that I never imagined I would be doing as a parent. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I, um, I, I fought to get my son well. Um, he's now 28 years old and doing beautifully. Um, but um, I stayed passionate about the cause, basically, and um, I started a support group for pa parents um, and family members or significant others, um, kind of trying to teach them the things that I learned, how to shortcut um, all the school of hard knocks that I experienced, and um, within a few years, I um joined OCD Jacksonville, which is an affiliate of the International OCD Foundation. And um, I spent eight years there, um, finishing my tenure as vice president and president. And I left la at the end of last year um, to start my own nonprofit, which is Jack Mental Health. 
And I did that because I wanted to expand my reach out of the, you know, catchment area that OCB Jacksonville operates in um, for many reasons, because I wanted to reach more people and because, you know, my life is different now. I have kids and grandkids in California and other family members in the Northeast and my husband's heading toward retirement and we want to be able to um, be in other places. And so I wanted to have something that I could still do advocacy from from wherever I happen to be. <laughs> so that's how that all started. And things have been amazing since we started. It's just been an incredible blessing um, how many things have um, uh, come up that we've been able to um, do some significant um, outreach. And I'm thrilled with how things are going so far and just praying it continues. Yeah, I'm so, you know, happy and just over the moon, you know, really happy for you that you said your son's doing really well and you are still super passionate about the cause and you're able to give back in all these wonderful ways. But I know it wasn't always that way, right? Like I can almost imagine when Jack started to show symptoms before you knew maybe what OCD was or the extent to how debilitating it could be. If you could talk to us about kind of what that was like, um, maybe some signs or symptoms that you started to notice in Jack and, um, you know, what that was like for you as a parent that had to have been really confusing as I'm sure it is for so many other parents out there. Well, absolutely. I mean, I was fortunate in, in, on a number of fronts. Number one, I did identify it as OCD, but I didn't identify it until it was a full meltdown. In hindsight, he had the tendencies from the time he was three years old. I just, you know, kind of explained them away. But one fine day, OCD stopped him, like completely. And he was his, um, he it was contamination. He was washing and, you know, from his hands to his elbows were raw and he was, um, um, refusing to swallow his own saliva. And I knew it was OCD. And we were fortunate. We were fortunate enough to find an ERP therapist that was fantastic. Her name's Dr. Cindy Stevens. And it's by the grace of God that we did that because 18 years ago, I mean, if there's a ERP therapist shortage now, imagine what it was back then. So we did get the proper intervention right away. The problem was, is he didn't respond um, well to treatment. And uh, within, I guess, a year, we were in it started intensive programs. And we've done that for, um, we, we, he's done intensive probably four times throughout his life. Um, and that really helped significantly just digging deep um, to, to deal with the obsessions and compulsions. The other problem was is that um, at the time I, I was shocked by what we were actually dealing with. Jack had a um, boy on the bus that he um, bumped elbows with and he had heard this boy on the bus um, talking, you know, in a very um, body way about smoking weed and everything else. And Jack had heard all the exhortations to stay away from drugs and drugs are bad. And um, he just got this intrusive thought that somehow by touching this boy that he had gotten on drugs. And so um, 
you know, we did, we started out with what we thought were low level exposures. You know, we gave them hemp granola bars and burned hemp incense and made them look at Weed World magazine. And, you know, just, we had a whole host of paraphernalia that we were using, but it really wasn't working. So I finally decided, you know, like he's smart enough to know that this isn't the real thing that he's scared of. So what if we got the real thing? And that's why I say, you know, OCD turns parenting on its head because the next thing I know, you know, me who had told my children to say no to drugs was out trying to cop weed for our exposure work, which I did. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we kind of went from there. It did help to have the real thing. But I mean, he's, he's pretty much um, had that trigger until college. Um, and imagine, you know, going through high school and college with a significant fear of weed. It's everywhere. Um, so it made it challenging for him, but he did get over it. He did get over it. And, you know, I think for his brain, seeing that, um, you know, this thing that, you know, beat him up literally for 17 years um, is no longer a thing is, is proof positive that exposure works because after a while it was just like, oh hell, I'm done with this, you know? And, um, you know, but the, the unfortunate nature of OCD is it changes up and new intrusive thoughts come and new triggers and it all feels new and real again. And so you're continuing to fight the battle, but he's got the tools in his toolbox and, he knows what they are and he struggles like, like every other OCD struggle, every other OCD sufferer struggles to fight that, but um, he now can do it. And I'm so proud of him. That's He's amazing. You must have worked really hard because, you know, like it's so different, right? Like I can just imagine being in that position, you know, like learning all these new skills and learning what's going on and learning that you're no longer able to do the things that very maternally we are very driven and instinctivized to do, right? Like comfort your child, you know, protect them from harm, reassure them that everything is okay. Um, but obviously we can't do that when it comes to OCD, right? Because that is an accommodation that is reassurance. It works like a ritual and it just makes OCD so much stronger. So we're really having to do things, right? Like, you know, not engage in the rituals, encourage them to be doing challenging things on their own where, you know, your son or anyone with OCD might just think like, it's so much easier for you to just do it for me. Why can't you just do it for me? Um, so yeah, if you could, I'd like to talk a little bit more about like the hard work of actually parenting um, a child with OCD. Like what were some of the wins? What were some of the roadblocks? Uh, Cause I know that's a really big struggle for parents out there. Like how do I sit with my own discomfort? Um, kind of like watching my, my child be in discomfort. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, so, you know, you, you read about um, reassurance and accommodation. I, I was better at not accommodating than I was um, reassuring. I, it, that took me longer. Um, as far as, you know, accommodation, of course, he wanted me to take showers when he viewed me as, as contaminated. He didn't want to eat the food that I prepared. And he was still a boy, you know, and, and then he wasn't eating. He didn't want to touch anything in the house anymore. 
And, um, you know, the easy thing to do would be to open the door or to clean the sheets or to take a shower. But, you know, I really had to learn early on that I couldn't do that. Um, but when they're literally, when your child is melting down and you know in your deepest place that they're in great pain, um, to not reassure them that it's okay, that they're not going to die, they're, they're not on drugs, that they're not um, going to spiral out of control. Um, that's a tougher place to be. Um, you know, we had, oh gosh, so many um, incidents, um, you know, through the years at, during the exposure work where, I mean, he just, he just, I, you know, I don't want to tell Jack's store personal story too much, you know, because, you know, it's still, you know, for any OCD sufferer, it's something you carry um, forever. But I mean, there were, you know, jumping out of a car, running away from me, you know, all kinds of things um, to, to get away from what um, he viewed as grave danger. And, um, and those were terrifying times for me. I can remember, you know, quite honestly, when we were um, going to intensive the first time, um, it was um, in Gainesville. So it was two and a half hours from where we live. And I had to drive there and back every day. And we couldn't stay in hotels because most of the house was um, contaminated. And the therapists were like, no, that'll be like a vacation for him. So I drove two and a half hours there and two and a half hours back every single day for the first six weeks. And um, I was exhausted. And I would get home after crying and watching my child suffer. And I remember just like pouring a tumbler of wine and thinking, oh my God, somebody sedate me. I'm, I'm struggling here. And, um, you know, but we, we got through it. Um, and it didn't, it didn't happen right away. I can remember it was, um, Dr. Eric Storch was running the UF program at that time. And I remember him calling me into his office and and I was like, okay, we've been here all these weeks and he's no better. And oh my God, what does our future look like? And I was just sobbing and he looked me in the eye and he told me he's going to get better. We just need to keep going. We need to keep going. And the fact that you're a mom that cares, that's doing this every single day, you know, you're in the game and that counts for a lot too. And he, he articulated how much my participation in this mattered. He said that he had families that turned up and are just like, here's my kid, fix them. And he's like, those are the kids that don't do so well. <laughs> you know, you, you have to have, you know, your village, you know, and you have to get everybody on the same page. And um, so that's what I said about doing. I had to educate our own family, you know, my, my daughter and my husband, um, what I was seeing and what I was learning every day. And then once he was finally able to go back to school, you know, letting the teachers know. And again, 18 years ago, they didn't know what this was at all. And so I would send him, send them articles and, you know, tutorials that I would find, but there was precious little, there weren't anything like the resources now. 
So, I mean, anxiety in the classroom, if it had existed then, my goodness, what a difference it would have made. But um, I, I had to do it on my own. And I think every parent that faces this has to find ways to navigate in their world with the people that surround them, um, how to help best help their loved one do, do this thing, and you know, which means heading toward recovery. What does that look like? And it, and it looks different for every family, but the bottom line is, is there are specific tools that we can all learn and that are necessary for that recovery. That's amazing. Yeah. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about some of the work that you do with other family members. Um, you know, you know, every person's own unique OCD story is different, um, but kind of at the root of it, right. It's all the doubt disorder. The parents are usually struggling with a lot of the same things. Um, even though there are, are obviously these individual differences and nuances. So, yeah, I would love to talk about kind of what you see similarly that these families struggle with, um, any like trends or um, really huge difficulties that you see, and then kind of what your work with them is like on a, on a regular basis. Well, I absolutely see um, compassion fatigue. I mean, when you, I, I have felt it myself, you know, when you, when you're going weeks and months and years and, um, you know, your kid isn't getting better. It's exhausting. And, and there's, you know, there's inflated emotions always at home because OCD has its demands. You know, I certainly see anger. I see misunderstanding. Um, you know, it's usually the moms that are in the game. So dads take a little bit more, um, time to get to a, understanding of what's going on, but that's not always the case. I've met some absolutely remarkable dads who have been the ones that have been um, leading the charge to get their kids well. But, um, you know, basically what everybody needs really is support, you know, support those people, those parents, those spouses or loved ones are um, navigating something incredibly difficult. And um, everybody's OCD is demanding different things of them, but um, it's still it's still um, exhausting. And they just need sometimes encouragement. Sometimes they need to know where the resources is. I I, I um, am always shocked that people you know will turn up at a support group, and you'll start talking, and they'll say, "What's ERP?" You know, their kid's been in therapy. And they're not getting better. And you come to find out, oh my gosh, they're just getting talk therapy and they've never heard the words ERP. And that is always astounding to me. But unfortunately, clinicians often don't know what they don't know. Um, they think they treat OCD, but unless they've had specific training in it, they really don't know how to do ERP. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that we can um, best do is steer people toward the right resources. You know, the, the good podcasts, the, the, the Instagram feeds, the, the websites, you know, and what the treatment sort, um, resources are to get proper help. Um, so that's one thing that we can do with family, but what our nonprofit has primarily been doing in the short term is what I realized is, is that lack of access to a uh, trained clinician. So, you know, I really wanted to make sure that we were training clinicians in underserved areas. 
So one of the most exciting things that I'm um, um, really over the moon about is um, my husband's from Puerto Rico and we have lots of friends in Puerto Rico and I've been kind of the go-to mom when friends from Puerto Rico um, know somebody with OCD. And, you know, despite my best efforts, I have not been able to find uh, clinicians in Puerto Rico trained. So anyway, um, long story short, um, our nonprofit, Jack Mental Health Advocacy, is sponsoring the first Spanish language BTTI in November. And um, we're, we're hoping to get, um, obviously, Puerto Rican clinicians trained, but also um, any clinician um, that wants to register for a Spanish language BTTI can now register on the IOCDF site. So I'm thrilled with that. Um, the other thing that we um, recently did is one of our board members, um, just um, she's a physician and she works um, part time at a, um, a shelter for the unhoused. And um, she met a gentleman that had basically lost everything, a very productive career, a family to OCD. And here she was seeing him in a facility for the unsheltered. And she wrote a very moving opinion piece. And as a result, we um, our call to action was we made a donation to the uh, BTTI scholarship fund so that clinicians um, that serve the unhoused or the unsheltered can get training um, in ERP. Um, so we made that donation to the BTTI scholarship fund um, last week, as a matter of fact. That's amazing. So, oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. So many good things have come from this, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't always that way. There were many, many months and years, I'm sure just seems like at first it could be so confusing and overwhelming. Um, yeah. So, and, and you said that Jack is now studying to be a clinician to help others, right? Yes. In fact, he starts his, uh, clinical rotations now, his, his supervision portion of his, um, grad work. So, um, yeah. So once he gets those hours in, he'll be a licensed clinician. And, um, I'm so proud of him for tackling grad school and, you know, work and, you know, just keeping all the balls in the air, um, particularly during this crazy time that we're all living. So I'm enormously proud of him. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Um, I guess like from just like total curiosity on my part, like, do you feel like there's this ongoing kind of management that needs to take place? Um, like either for you and, or for Jack, like, um, obviously don't want to speak too much for him, but like, how do you just, I guess, stay on top of everything and continue to make sure that everything does continue to go well, even though there are so many things going on? You know, I, um, I definitely do think that um, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. I, I believe it's ongoing for anybody that has OCD. Uh, I don't, I, I think that it's the rare person where OCD just goes away and never comes back. So, you know, what I see mostly in Jack and I think what Jack is experiencing and I'm, I'm sure he would tell you this um, is that OCD changes up all the time. Those intrusive thoughts are relentless and um, you know, it, and, and 
So he's having to use all the tools that everybody says all day, you know, recognize them for what they are, you know, and, um, you know, move on, move on, you know. Um, and I, is it easy? No, absolutely not. Some are worse than others. Some can go away right away. I think, you know, one of the tools we learned early days is when that new thought comes, you know, don't let it get entrenched, you know, hit it hard right away. Um, because, um, you know, otherwise it's going to stick. So really, really doing that response prevention is important and, um, you know, just, um, accepting it for what it is. So, you know, and, and, and now there's all these, these augmenting treatment modalities. I mean, we have, you know, ICBT and, you know, metacognitive, um, things and ACT and everything else. And, 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 you know, we're bringing a very layered approach, you know, mindfulness and self-compassion. And I think all of these are incredibly valuable tools that, that keep him strong, but also keep me strong. I mean, I have anxiety around his OCD. And I would suggest that most of the parents that I met meet and have met over the last dozen years end up with anxiety themselves, watching their loved ones either suffer or navigating the process. Or the one the the people that I have the most compassion with are the the parents and loved ones of somebody that refuses treatment or that um, has incredible pushback um, or, or exhibits great anger. I've met so many people that, um, have experienced that. And that's not something I experienced. I mean, Jack always wanted help and he was always willing. And I'm pretty sure he loves me to pieces. <laughs> and, and, um, so we are very, very much bonded in our journey together to get him well. Um, but not every family experiences that. And, those are the cases where it's completely heartbreaking to me. Yeah. And that's the parents that I think do need the most support just to remind them that you can't do this for them. Mm -hmm. You can't make this happen. Um, and the other, the other um, um, families that, that can't um, don't have the means to pay for treatment is the other big piece of this that I find um, abs absolutely unacceptable and heartbreaking. Um, you know, access to treatment is everything. If you have access to treatment, you can recover. But so many people that have lacked that access to treatment um, just don't um, get better. They, I've seen it over and over and over again, which is why things like um, no OCD, treat my OCD is amazing. And the more, um, we have resources like that, the better the chances are that we're going to reach people that really need help. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree, right? Like it totally does make a difference if your child is willing and wants to get better versus, I mean, not just with a child, but with anybody, right. Even an adult, right. um, you know, versus somebody who's just not there yet and is very resistant to that help. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking thing to have to describe to a family member or a loved one that, you know, you can only really like bring a horse to water and you can't make them drink it. You can tell them how wonderful the water is and you can tell them how awful it is to be thirsty and you can, you know, describe how beautiful the water is and, you know, break it down into small steps, you know, just tilt your head down a little bit further, but you can't make them drink it. Um, nope. 
you know, they really do have to want it. And we can't make someone, we can only do so much when it comes to wanting someone, you know, to helping someone to want it. Um, just like, you know, just like family members and loved ones can't make someone change or make someone want it. Therapists can only do so much too. Um, so yeah, that's definitely really heartbreaking. And you're right. I do think that they need an added level of support, like to mourn that, right. Like to almost mourn, this change that they want to see happen that they can't make happen. Um, so yeah, oh my gosh, that does have to be really, really, um, difficult to work with those families, but you know, you're showing up, you're giving them inspiration. You're giving them someone to talk to who understands at least, you know, more than the average person. So, um, you know, speaking of other families out there, speaking of advice and just, you know, if anyone out there is listening as a family member or a loved one, and they're just kind of in the trenches themselves, they're not really sure how to get help or what the next steps are. Um, what, what kind of advice would you give to, um, loved ones or family members out there if they're just identifying that their loved one is really struggling? Well, I mean, I, I tell people a number of things. Number one, spend a lot of time on the IOCDF, um, you know, website, learn, learn those, um, you know, spectrums of OCD or subtypes because, uh, the way OCD changes up. I mean, you got to know what's coming at you. I, I am astounded over and over and over again, like you're sitting in a support group and people are hearing something from another person and they're like, oh, that's an OCD thing. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I do that too. You know, I think that um, if you can identify um, what OCD looks like in a whole bunch of ways, it helps you be vigilant. It helps you be vigilant as somebody that is going to be a caregiver or um, supporting somebody um, with OCD. I also think there's a number of great books out there. Um, I really like Dr. Jonathan Abramowitz's um, new book, Get uh, The Family Guide to Getting Over OCD. I think that's a really valuable resource for families. I'm also thrilled um, since I became a IOCDF advocate, you know, I went from being in the affiliate system to now being an IOCDF advocate. And it's such a joy because everybody is so passionate. And I think they very much want um, to bring the conversation and the help um, needed to families. So I think there'll be more and more coming from them. And I've already seen more in at the conferences and on the live streams that address the needs of families and caregivers. Um, so I think those are important. Obviously, I always, you know, give people a list of the good podcasts and the, the, the good Instagram sites. Um, and, you know, you and so many are doing such great work. I mean, things that I can't ever imagine myself doing. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I figured out how to do Instagram and Facebook my way. I'm probably not going to be a big TikToker, but you know, I, I want to speak to, um, who I'm speaking to and that's people like me, people who, you know, just love with all their heart and want to see their, their child or their significant other get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and who knows? I also said that I wouldn't be a huge TikToker and I'm still not, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, hey, you never know, right? Like you've talked about some of the wild stuff that you had to do with your son for exposures. You just never know, man. You never know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's my own insecurity and my own fear. <laughs> yeah, I got, I need to listen to more to uh, my own um, advice and, and tackle my own fears. But um you know, I'm work, I'm a work in progress. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we so appreciate it. I still have a couple of things that I want to ask you as we wrap up here, but was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with your nonprofit, um, with any new initiatives that you have going on or anything else that you, um, just really quickly, uh, how can, you know, how can people find more about, um, your initiatives and more about you before we wrap up? Well, um, obviously go to our website, um, Jack mental health advocacy or, um, our Facebook or Instagram. Um, we will announce things periodically. We've been so lucky to have um, people. Kimberly Quinlan um, generously um, did a matching gift with us that we were able to give, I think it's 24 people um, um, subscriptions to the ERP school. So that's a great way, you know, just to give somebody, you know, a really good basic, you know, education on what the treatment for OCD is. And um, so, you know, we were able to do that. Um, we have a beautiful initiative coming up in um, October and hopefully we'll launch by um, OCD week. But um, we've partnered with the Museum of Contemporary Art in Jacksonville and we are doing an art therapy initiative with an entire school. So 680 students will be affected and we are trying to reach um, an underserved community that rarely gets to talk about mental health, anxiety, and what's going on in their lives. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, we're gonna see some pretty um, amazing things come out of that. Um, one of the things we did with OCD Jacksonville was we um, had a year long um, initiative where we would have art nights and we had um, uh, OCD sufferers um, create um, exposure canvases and we brought a whole collection of those canvases to the conference when it was in Austin and people loved it. And um, so I wanted to, um, you know, reach more people that way because I saw how effective it was. And, and I think anytime, you know, we use creativity in the mix, it, it helps. So um, I'm really excited about that initiative. And, um, you know, we, we have, um, we have a lot of blogs coming out. Um, I recent one, we wrote one about, um, back to school that's on the IOCDF website. It was about when Jack went off to college and I was an absolute nervous wreck. I couldn't imagine how this guy was gonna do it. You know, having had OCD as bad as he did, how was he gonna navigate that new environment living on his own? And um, he was jazzed, he, he had worked hard, he was, he was doing great. And um, I was the one freaking out. And I, but he made me promise, like, when you drop me off, do not embarrass me, mom, do not embarrass me. And I promised I wouldn't, and things were going beautifully. And then we went to the family farewell picnic, and we were supposed to have lunch and then say goodbye to your kid. And um, I started feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. I, this is it, you know, and I took a big bite of a chicken sandwich and it got lodged in my throat and I was literally choking and I was, you know, flailing around. It was clear that um, it was lodged and somebody from another table came running over and performed the Heimlich maneuver. And I 
threw up the piece of chicken and then I threw up everything else in my stomach in the middle of the family farewell picnic. And um, Jack just stared at me and I was like, so much for me not embarrassing you. <laughs> and uh, he he took it very good naturedly. But but I think it um, I tell that story just because it's it's a, an example of here I have, you know, been literally serving in the OCD community for a dozen years. I know all about this ERP thing. I've been to intensive with him many times. I knew the skills, but I couldn't separate my mommy heart from what had to happen. You know, he had to go off. He had to face the challenges ahead. And I got myself so wound up. I just forgot to chew my food. And, um, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, it's just an honest telling of, of how difficult it is when you love somebody so much and you're watching them suffer um, to just let it go, even when they're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the word is suffer, right? Like there's nothing like it to sit there as a parent and just not, I mean, you probably went through this yourself. Like, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this actually going to work? Oh my gosh. Am I, you know, doing more harm than good when you're sitting there saying no to something that he's just wanting you to do. Um, I know we had talked a little bit previously before we started recording, but I have a four and a half year old as well. And he's already starting to exhibit some anxious tendencies, certainly, you know, could go on to develop, you know, anxiety or OCD or a related condition. Um, but yeah, I mean, already it's very difficult to, you know, like my mommy heart wants to reassure him and tell him yeah. the same thing again and again, and just make him feel better. Um, and it's really difficult to have to strategize things a little bit differently, knowing what we know and knowing, you know, that it's good to do the hard thing. Um, and, and that really leads me to kind of my final question that I ask all of my guests is, um, you know, we talk about how hard it, you know, how good it is to do hard things, right? This whole, you know, premise behind doing exposure and response prevention is this concept of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone in a way that's challenging, but manageable, reducing these safety behaviors, reducing avoidance. And, you know, you and I know why that's so good in hindsight, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are kind of like, you know, why would I do the hard thing? Like why, you know, why, why would I intentionally make myself scared? Why would I intentionally make myself anxious? Um, and I think it's really important for us to flip the script on that. So, um, Kim, if you could wrap up for us, why don't you tell us why you think it's so important to do hard things? I think when um, I was facing this with Jack and challenging him to do the hard things, the, the best way I was able to do it was to point out what OCD was taking away. What, what was it limiting in his life? And it, and it was limiting everything. He didn't want to touch his phone. Like his clothes were contaminated. Rooms were contaminated. Uh, you know, he wouldn't go places or do things. It's, it takes away your life. And I find that too. I, for myself, when I don't do the hard thing, um, I'm losing something. And, and it may be as small as um, I feel disappointment in myself or um, I self-flagellate that I got behind because I didn't do the hard thing or, um, you know, that, that, ah, that it's just, it feels in the moment so painful, but once it's done, I think for everybody, whether you have OCD, anxiety, or whatever, 
once you've done that thing that you are absolutely avoiding or um, terrified to do, there is an unspeakable relief and then joy. And I, I am absolutely convinced that facing those hard things is the key to a fruitful life. That's amazing. I totally agree. Um, And I'm so glad that you and I are both here and that we have so many other wonderful advocates and therapists and family members in the OCD community, because, you know, people who have OCD, they need a strong community. They need a strong backing. And I've always said it. I'll continue to say it. The OCD community is so special. You know, we feel so strongly about our mission. We feel so strongly about, you know, sticking with it and making it a lifestyle and giving back to people. So I just want to say again, thank you so much, Kim, for being here with us. Thank you for all the continued work that you do. Um, for those of you who are listening, I will make sure to post all of Kim's, you know, information where you can find out more about Kim and follow their story. Um, and, and, you know, look up, look up about her, the nonprofit, um, learn more about Jack and their story. Um, and yeah, thank you, Kim, so much. Any last words as we go ahead and uh, end things here today? I just want to, you know, second what you said, the OCD community is amazing. It's kind and compassionate and actually pretty fun. I mean, I I so enjoyed meeting you for the first time at the conference. And there's just a, 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 a warmth that comes out of this community that is second to none. And I'm just so grateful and deeply, um, touch to be part of it. And I know I can't fix everything. I know that, you know, it may be a drop in the bucket, what I'm able to do, but I want to keep providing what drops I can provide. And I thank you so much for your time today and for having me on your podcast. For sure. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Jenna. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things. My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it.